We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92, and you can follow me at Bill Trochi, and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. And we are lucky to have Bill Bender here on this podcast, apparently, because there were tornadoes swirling all through central Ohio last night. Yes? This morning. Uh, yeah, it was a rough morning, tornado <laughs> sirens. But I was so tired. I was like, the kids were up watching the weather, and I was, just wake me up. I, I know better. Like, in this part of the state, like, fortunately, we didn't get hit. There was a couple that touched down, but... Yeah, you know, you never know what the weather's going to be in Ohio, but uh, everybody's safe. All the schools are safe, and uh, a day off for the kids, right? Day off for one of them. Grant went. That you know, Catholic school versus public school, I suppose. The Catholic school kid was in school. <laughs> he has a retreat this week, though, so that they were able to get him there. Put your tie on and get through the tornado and get to school. Yeah, that's that. The attitude there, I suppose. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we got some news. Here, February 28th, which is nice to uh, give us some some content to talk about uh, this morning. But before we get to that, uh, let's do a little Trochi trivia question. I was poking through some stuff last night and uh, came up with this one for you. Can you name the last time the AP preseason number one team did not finish in the top 10? Can you name the last time the AP preseason number one did not finish in the top 10. So we'll go from there. We'll visit that at the end of the show. Uh, but today we want to talk a little signing period adjustments, which is in the news right now. Uh, we will also talk about court slash field storming. What can we do? Ideas that we have on that. Uh, and then the Big Ten and the SEC pushing for more auto bids and whether or not they should be doing that in the 14-team, 12-team, we don't even know what's going on there either. So plenty to talk about, uh, even though it's uh, late or early, I guess, early in the offseason. So uh, this morning, uh, Pete Thamel tweeted this out about the NCAA meetings 
in Indianapolis. He said football officials meeting in Indianapolis this week to discuss calendar changes for signing day. Here's what they're proposing. Three signing periods, which would be uh, quite the change. Uh, The last Wednesday in June, the Wednesday following the regular season, which is basically the first week of December, and then keep uh, keep February, the first Wednesday in February, the way it's always been. So this is a pretty dramatic change on two fronts. One, moving the December one up three weeks, and then proposing a June signing period. So, Bill, let's start with uh, the dis- moving the December one. What do you think about moving it from now, which is roughly the 22nd, the 23rd, whatever Wednesday that is, kind of before Christmas, in the middle of 17 other things that are going on, to the first Wednesday in December, essentially before the conference championship games? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It'll be worse. There's still the season still going on. There, coaches are such creatures of habit. You want to sneak a signing day in before, like if you're Georgia, you want to have signing day and trying to close recruits on the Wednesday before you're playing Texas in the SEC championship game. No, it is. Yeah, I guess you can. I don't know what. It, it's just it's. There's no in season window that's going to be better. That's kind of my thought on it. Like you can have it where it is now. I always go back to the story I always tell when I hear about these signing day windows is Sonny Dykes, who was supposed to be enjoying the best week of his life playing Georgia, although that wasn't the best game of their lives, um, was talking about being in Los Angeles, having guys on campus recruits that he was trying to close, having guys that we're going to transfer to TCU on campus and he's not there. And just the frustrations of trying to coordinate that with whoever was walking around campus with those potential transfers and recruits and trying to prepare for a game. And I just know the way the biggest game of his life. Right. So like he, 
how can you have that on your plate? And uh, the in and putting it in season, I guess it would only impact, in theory, 18 schools more. 18 schools would be potentially playing for a conference championship that week. But those are pretty, I mean, still, that's 18 schools. Yeah, it's the 18 schools that are playing in the championship games. And it's the 18 schools that are replacing head coaches. Because that is smack dab in the middle of the new coaching carousel. In the old days, when there was only February, the coaching carousel started to spin at the end of the regular season. But then it was three, week, two or three weeks before. I mean, I think... I think I heard a story that it was three full weeks before Texas replaced Mac Brown to get Charlie Strong. And now we're replacing Nick Saban in four days because they had to move it up because of that December signing period and do everything they could to uh, salvage the, the, the new recruiting class and the talent acquisition because that's so important. And now if you move it, I, I looked it up, there were 15 coaching pit power five coaching changes this year the six were in january and february so let's throw those out but of the nine that happened in the typical window eight of them were within seven days of this proposed new signing period on that wednesday that you know i looked it up like everyone you know um michigan state hired their coach november 28th mississippi state november 26th uh, Oregon State, November 28th. Texas A&M, November 27th. Duke, December 7th. Houston, December 3rd. You got all, I mean, what are they supposed to do? What are kids supposed to do? Are they supposed to sign with a guy they know they don't know anything about? You know, that doesn't help the high school kids. It doesn't help all the teams that are in the conference championship games and all the teams that are trying to replace a coach. And with the expanded playoff, you've got 12 teams, 14 teams, whatever it's going to be that, you know, they're going to have high profile offensive and defensive coordinators are going to be candidates for these jobs. Right. Right. But are they untouchable until their team is knocked out of the playoff? Are they going to accept a job and then go through the playoff? It's just, to me, the coaching carousel is the biggest problem. Yeah. You know, and now that's, but that's, these recruits have to know that's going to happen. So I think we've we've pushed this to like try to blame coaches for moving. And it's gone too far in that direction. No, I don't blame a recruit that if you're committed somewhere and a coach leaves, yeah, you can go look somewhere else. But are coaches not supposed to try to get promotions? This happens. This is the difference between college and the NFL. Like, yeah, NFL guys move around. Uh I'm going to throw a name out there since I'm a Packers fan. If Matt LaFleur leaves, Jordan Love can't be like, he could be like, I guess I'm leaving, but there's a huge contract as to why he'll probably just play for the next head coach. And I think, I don't know if it was you or somebody else that floated this idea. Why not let them commit whenever they want? You know, that would eliminate. And then you sign a contract when you commit. And then you stop having the the non-committable offers so right. to speak right yeah, then you have those like silent verbal you really what is that phrase still used the silent commitment he's silently committed well right <laughs> what does that mean that means nothing like you're still trying to close i think you if you between june and february you can hey you commit whenever you want but you have to sign a contract yeah that would be that would change the landscape significantly and clean things up for sure i think 
the December one just needs to be thrown out because uh, mm-hmm. the way where it is now is not great. Moving it to early December is not great. I think if you throw it out completely, okay, and you go back to February, I think the theory on the NCAA's part is that they want the kids, the high school kids, the, the coaches to, to focus on the high school kids, and then that signing period closes. Now they can start, quote-unquote, recruiting the transfer portal kids because the transfer portal isn't open yet before that first signing period. Now, my concern with that is that shouldn't the high school kids get an opportunity to see the landscape after this crazy flood of transfers that happens in December and to see where everybody's going? So, like, we're giving the high school kids less information if we force them to sign that first week in December. That's you know? great point. I mean, they have the option to, to wait till February, but they're pressured by the coaches. You know that. They want it over with and stuff like that. If you kill December altogether, at least they have the information from the first transfer portal window. There's still a spring one, obviously, but they will have so much more information than they do prior to the, the, the portal opening, given how many kids transfer now. Yeah, and, and the best idea of the, this is for the high school kids, The it, I guess it would work both ways, is to have that early one in June. Because then I just look at it from the, from the perspective of a high school recruit. If you sign in June, you don't have to worry about all that through your senior season. But I guess on the other side of it, w- would that lead to more Hey, this kid's com- for the high school coaches. That might not be good because it's like, hey, this kid's committed. You can, and, but that happens already where they're like, you know, maybe limit his carries, some of that stuff at the major schools, high schools. That happens, I think, on some level, but it's negligible, right? But Agreed. the number of kids that are going to reclassify, we had one here in Pickerington. I mean, Sonny Styles was an outstanding player, but the Pickerington Central coaching staff worked with them and they did it. You know, they got, both sides got what they wanted. I mean, Central got a state championship. Sonny Styles got a Division One scholarship. I think the powerhouses would do that and work with the school. But plus, they're not dealing with that. And the later signing period helps the senior that has the breakout season. Right. That, that exactly. maybe that flashes a little bit. And you're like, well, where'd that guy come from? And I know we've had that happen. I just go off the Pickerington experiences. And I think they're strong because both of the high schools in this town are awesome. And they produce a handful of Division One kids every year. And I talk to the coaches about it. Uh, DeWan Green was one of those guys. He wasn't getting a lot of looks, has a big year. All of a sudden, he's getting looks. So I, I think you've got to think of it just where we tend to concentrate just on that, the five-star guys. But it goes all the way down to the kids that are going to Marshall and Ohio University and places like that, too. I mean, it's funny that basketball has been like this for years. And they've it's never discussed that the basketball dates need to change. There's one before the season and then there's one after the season and that's it. And, uh, and after the national championship, it's not in the middle of the playoffs. They're not trying to have a signing period in the first weekend of March madness, which is basically what we're trying to do on the football side. I understand the semester thing is an issue that they're trying to figure out. You know, they want those kids to sign and enroll. Um, but I think that shouldn't, that's not unsolvable. And again, you can just get rid of the December signing period altogether. But the June one makes total sense to me. Might be a little early. I might push it a little into July, but whatever. They want dead periods. They want to give coaches some time off. I understand that. As long as the kids get 
sufficient number of opportunities to figure out what school they want to go to. A lot of these classes, Notre Dame is one. 90% of them are, are committed in June and, and they don't really lose them throughout the year. If you're ready to sign, you're ready to sign, you know, and then that takes it off the kids' plates unless the coach gets fired or, or, or moves on to another job, then you have to kind of make right. an adjustment to get those kids, you know, an opportunity to get out of the NLI, not coordinators, not assistants, whatever. It was just a head coach. If he's gone before the kid enrolls. He has an opportunity to probably get out of his NLI and, and try to go somewhere else. So to me, I like the June idea. I like the June concept. I like the February concept to let the dust settle after all these December transfer portal situation or January transfer portal uh, transfers essentially. Um, and, and I just don't like the idea of this December one. They're feeling pressure to adjust the calendar because it's a mess. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it. And this is their solution. And I, I just think you need to pull it out because right. moving it just causes some more problems. Right. So anyway, all right. Well, that was a, uh, interesting discussion i will see what happens uh they are also talking about helmet communications which you have a story this week on mm -hmm. some of the some of the guys who talked about it so that there'd be some interesting meetings uh to keep an eye on uh in indianapolis this week so we'll see what goes from there we've talked about your story and, and what some of the guys thought about the helmet communications in the bowl games uh a few pods ago so all right something in the News right now as well, the court storming at Duke. Uh, I mean, at Wake Forest for, with Duke and Kyle Filipowski. It spills over to football as well, field storming. There's always almost an incident Get to get serious. The Filipowski one is kind of serious. He banged his knee a little bit, but I think he's fine. Caitlin Clark got knocked down earlier this year. Uh, what is your thoughts on, on, you know, field storming? How should they be banned? Should they be banned? Do, is it part of the college experience? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I used to have the, so it's an annual tradition, this discussion in football and basketball, and there, there should be rules to it when you can, if you're going <laughs> to do it like there, that that's where I would start. You if can't, you're favored, you can't do it. Correct. That's one rule. <laughs> if you, and I think the rule should be if you beat number one, that's the only time you can do it. Only time you can do it is you beat number one. That's it. Like, Security says, come on down if you beat number one. You, you beat number two, forget about it. But I don't – court storming is never going to go away. Field storming is never going to go away because you're dealing with college students. College students drink alcohol. And when people – when you have that mix, as somebody who lived through it, people do dumb things. Um, it was a matter of time. It's a matter of time before somebody seriously gets hurt. I know we spent two days, like, Zapruder filming the Caitlin Clark incident. And rather or not, she initiated contact. Bottom line is, somebody's going to get hurt at some point, and it's going to be a serious injury. And then this conversation is going to come to a head. And some people might say, "Well, oh, you know, this is part of the college experience." My strongest thought on the whole thing is as follows: If you are a college student and you storm the court or enter that field, it's the same morning you get on a baseball ticket, a roller coaster, whatever. You get nothing if you get hurt. If you take an elbow to the head and you have a fractured jaw, you get nothing. You storm the court. If you get hit or punched in the face by an athlete who's angry about losing a game, you get nothing. You storm the court. I don't care. I don't care what was said. I don't care. Once you enter that field on a somewhere where you are not supposed to be, 
I don't want to hear your story about how you got hurt. End of discussion. Like, and we've had these. I remember Ohio State, Michigan in 16, there was an Ohio State fan that went on the field and said something to Jabril Peppers and Jabril Peppers took a swing at him and people were trying to blame Jabril Peppers. I was like, no, that is that dude's problem. And the dude that took the selfie with Caleb Williams had Caleb Williams turned around and jacked him in the face. That dude's problem. That's my strongest feeling on it. Everything else is, yeah, somebody's going to get hurt eventually. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. I mean, the chances of that happening are slim, but no amount of finding the school is going to matter because college students drink alcohol and do stupid things. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you do one at Ohio? Did you ever have the occasion? They did storm it once. Um, I was, I, I they beat Miami uh, when Miami had Travis Prentice. I was not part of that court storming. Um, I wasn't at or that field. That was a football game. And uh, it was funny because my one, one of my roommates played defensive tackle. And he said when they stormed the field, it was, it was fine. Like there was nothing too crazy about it. But he, he goes, hey man, I looked up and guy that was in that we went to high school together because I saw one of them he was I saw Brendan he was up on the goalpost I was like he was like oh hey Brendan and he way back and so that was pretty cool um but yeah they they it was harmless I mean they stormed the court a couple times at Ohio University but it was again contrived it was when they beat somebody that you're like eh so my rules would be you have to beat number one that's it <laughs> you can storm the, maybe your biggest rival maybe and but I mean like I did Ohio. too. I I was part of two at Vandy. It was uh both basketball, uh obviously. Uh we actually did beat number one, Kentucky. That was uh um Rick Patino's one of Rick Patino's teams. We ran on it. We were ahead the whole time, knew we were gonna win, we won by fifteen, and uh, you know, when the the horn sounded, everybody just rushed. And Vanderbilt's a little unique. The visitors can kind of shuffle off, no problem. Yeah. Like there was no issues and another one we just hit the big man who literally he was a senior had not taken a three-pointer in his career hit a buzzer beater three-pointer desperation to beat georgia and we all just kind of ran on as soon as it went in no planning whatsoever it didn't look like we were going to win and all that so i think uh, number one or long and since you went to vandy like long losing streak like if you like remember when kansas stormed the football field a couple years ago when they were or if you break a yeah, 30, they break a thirty game losing streak or something like that, yeah, you can do it then. But <laughs> it has to be like I think we should clarify numbers. But like the the whole act is contrived to me in most like Wake Forest beating Duke. 
Duke's or that what do they rank? I think Wake was favored. I do. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? And they were a point and a half favorite um, at home. And uh, I've been yeah. on Ohio. So I've here's been the on, concept. Yeah, go ahead. Here's the concept I heard or I read or whatever. And it mostly would apply to basketball, I would think. But um, make it known, make it understood. Okay, that yes. You want to celebrate with the team on the court. That's a cool college thing, all that. Um, and I think it was Rob Doster who who said, um, you know, security set up strong right at the end of the game. And then the shot clock goes off and the scoreboard has a 30 second countdown and the kids can start counting down 24, 23. And the visitors get off in 30 seconds. Then you let them go and everybody celebrates at midcourt. Sounds good in theory. What will happen? I don't know if you could delay it that long. One of the penalties I'd like to see for an unruly court storm situation, whatever it is, if you're trying to discourage it. And I talked to Kyle Bond, our soccer expert, yesterday about having next game, empty stadium. Yep. Next game, empty stadium. That's the penalty. It's not a fine. No one cares about the fines, clearly. Uh, the other policies, I don't even know what they are. They're just, they're not effective in any way would a do you think it would be effective to have a threat especially with students because they tend to go to most of the games you know empty stadium next game it might get through at that point that's the but you know you look in in recent years so tennessee i'm not picking on tennessee i love their fans their fan base and the passion i mean they had the old miss game that was Right, deplorable where they were throwing mustard bottles and golf balls and everything else on the field over that was over a bad call that's another one that needs to be penalized i would i would penalize well, they booted them. the student section before the game was over i would empty stadium for that kind of stuff before i would storm in the field then you have the alabama tennessee game where again that's probably one where you get to storm the field because it'd been how many years since you beat your rival Right. It was a long streak at that time. I think it was 15 or 16. So the, but nobody was, and, and, and what happened in that game? Jermaine Burton got into it with a fan. Right. And we had the big long discussion about that. And again, that was my, you're on the field. You right. assume all risk once you do that. And, and Tennessee was, made a mockery of the, of the fine. They like turned it into right. a fundraising situation. I think they made money. Right. Hands. So, so it's, it's definitely, I, I like the empty stadium idea because then it would get people's attention. But then, then the first time that happens, the pendulum will swing against the the commissioners in the NCAA. They'll say, "Well, there's just ridiculous that they're holding. You know, they're taken away from the college experience." That that column will get written right away. Uh, so, you know, but I, I think a lot of people think this is overdone. But all it's going to take is. You know, Filipowski and Caitlin Clark are big names. Wait <laughs> They're the big as they get on the, both sides. Now, wait. If Caitlin Clark had suffered a torn ACL or something, this conversation would be definitely still. It, it would there would have been a solution, right? Because then you lose money at that point. Yes, yes. That, and I, and I thought Filipowski was going to be. He doesn't look like he was really that hurt, and it was just kind of that was an odd deal. Like he's been around. He's played at Duke. Arkansas stormed the court already on them this year. He knew it was coming and he did. It looked like, I don't know what it looked like. It looked like, I, I don't like the argument. They're like, what would you do if a hundred people were yarning? Well, he knew number one, he knew number two, he's bigger than everybody running at him. 
and he spends two hours banging with 285 pound dudes and doesn't get hurt. But like a six foot chemistry student bangs his knee and he's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. The whole thing was weird. I don't want to blame him, but he could have done a little more to be prepared and, and protect himself a little bit. It was almost like he was sulking and just wanted to kind of let's see i disagree there because i don't know I, I, if those wake forest students that are they're dying just to go up to call kyle filipowski and say you know hey, what I, yeah I, you know, I got in his face see what yeah. i did and, and yeah, that, i think the the number game there is a lot different whereas kyle he's just maybe it took him a little bit to get off the court so uh, i yeah I, I will never side with the students here Okay. Like I, I just won't. I, if they want to do it, fine. And but again, like let's be honest. Like the one guy that the Caleb Williams Notre Dame picture. Why'd you do? It? You wanted to get on to, and that's a generational thing. It's it's not like when when I I'm gonna I'm gonna do it when I when I was in school. It was <laughs> guys were drunk and dumb. Now it's I need to get a TikTok video. Exactly. I need to get a six set. We weren't in now when we were storming the field at OU, we were doing it because we were drunk and unruly, <laughs> not because we were trying to get a TikTok or a tweet or a my, how many impressions did my Caleb Williams picture get? That's so dumb. So stupid. Yep. Yep. So, all right. I wanted to touch on one final thing before we get out of here. Our friend from our last pod, two pods ago, maybe uh, from CBS, Shahan Jayaraja. Got Your it. buddy, the uh, FWAA second vice president. You are the first vice president. Uh, he was talking about the Big Ten and the SEC and trying to get more automatic bids as they work for the 2026 college football playoff format. And he labeled it loser behavior. And I loved that. I loved that because I thought it was the perfect description. It was very concise. They don't need it. They already have all the advantages. Loser behavior was a perfect description, but I don't know if you agree with that. I wanted to ask you what you thought. I wouldn't call it. I that well, and Shahan's a Big Twelve guy, so let's I'll, <laughs> I'll play devil's advocate, being the Big Ten guy. It's not loser behavior; it's greedy behavior. There's a difference. They want they're greedy. They want they want to protect. It, it's they want to make sure a fourth place team gets in over potentially a more deserving team. Yeah, and they want it. They're being. I think it's almost transparent that if we were going to 14, all they want is those buys guaranteed. They want their champion to get a buy and they, they want extra at larges. And it's like, we spelled that, that doesn't out. doesn't have anything to do with the extra at large situation. Yeah. But I mean, with the at large, it's, they want as many bids as possible. And we, we kind of sketched that out last week. So no matter what we do with the playoff, the big 10 and the sec want more. They want more at large bids They're They're going to get more at large bids. Right. So they don't need the auto bids. They don't need them. Well, they they still want those. I know. And it's loser behavior. <laughs> Everybody wants them. I no. mean, the ACC in basketball used, could have said, oh, we want five automatic yeah. bids back when they were kicking butt. They're not kicking butt anymore. It would look ridiculous that they had five auto bids now that they're not as good as they used to be in the top conference or whatever. You get one and that's it. Like, I don't, it's, Earn the rest of them. What happened to earning it? You already have all the advantages you can possibly get with the network money, the exposure. You grabbed all the super teams you could possibly get. Now you need more auto bids than other conferences? They're going to have them anyway, but I, I think... They're going to get them anyway, right. But I would put I would try to get them. 
I would try to. I, why wouldn't you? <laughs> like because it's losing because, behavior because my conference is better than yours. And so what? It is, and it's not. It's going to continue to be. And I think they're just starting this effort to push everybody else out, and and those two will do it, and they'll work together to do it. Right. It or We're not. not looking out for the greater good, which is someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, what do you think of the big 10 SEC little coalition thing or whatever? And I'm like, well, hopefully with only two conferences, two voices in the room, it'll be easier to look out for the greater good of college football versus when they had five power conferences, everybody was looking out for themselves. Nothing could get done. We saw the disaster that that brought on a conference died over it. And I said, you know, hopefully with only two voices, we can look out for the greater good. Not happening. They're looking out for themselves, just like we feared. And just like you say, we're going to get down to two conferences soon enough. Well, we're going to get, like, I, I've done this, I don't know how they do high school football in Georgia. I know how they do it in several states. But I always tell people in Ohio, we have seven divisions. Seven. And I think college football, the uh, 134 schools that we have, it's not a group of four and a or group of five and a power four anymore. Really, to me, it's three groups. It's 40 or so schools that are going to want to do what we're talking about. It's 40 schools in the middle that are kind of in purgatory because you're not really a power five school and you're not really a group of five school. And your coaches are going taking offensive coordinator jobs at the larger schools or your coach is just leaving to take a defensive coordinator job with Green Bay. Those schools, you got about 40 of those. And then you have 40 like true group of five schools. One of the things about Mac football I enjoy is the parody of it. Like the gap from Toledo to Central Michigan to whoever's at the bottom of the Mac in any given year is not Ohio State to Indiana, where Indiana hasn't beat Ohio State since the 80s. So, but Mike DeCourcy was talking, or our own Mike DeCourcy was talking to us me about this last week. He said, he, he's not understanding all these pushes for 14 or at-large bids or any of these things. He said, Ohio State fans are going to have an interesting dilemma. And I, I'm here in Georgia, maybe. Do you want, really want to go 9-3 and three and make the playoff? Or would you rather be 12-0 and 0 and dominate every year? And I think that because they'd rather go home happy, there's going to be some of that from the major powers. Like, now Ohio State can go nine and three, and you're kind of like, well, that regular season was kind of dumb, but they can still win a national title. And that's bad. Yeah, I think so. It, it, and that's what Mike was his sentiment was too. Is on some level, we're moving away from what college. To me, you're talking about college football, good for the game. What's always been good for college football, and we just talked about it with Court Storm in his number one. You're number one. You're undefeated. You're on that. Like there, how many? When we have an eight and four team win a national championship, I don't think it'll be good for the game. That's my personal opinion because this game rewards excellence. It always has, and we're getting further and further away from that truth. Yeah, um, like the New York, it's like the Giants beating the Patriots the one year as a wild card team. That's going to be way different in college football. And Would yet, you have rather one of the see- most treasured Super Bowls ever? Is it? Is it? Is not? it? Is it? I mean, it's not because in my eye. <laughs> is it? I mean, I mean, but nobody looks at that Giants team as the dominant, you know, like no. Whereas in college football, the debates that we have this time of year are, man, what would that? Did you see ESPN rank the quarterbacks of the two thousands, and people are getting wound up because Vince Young wasn't number one? 
Why? Because people think that 2005 Texas team can beat that 2019 LSU team, can beat this year's Michigan team. Because why? Because they were undefeated. That That's the best part of this game. And I, I just, being number one, that's what matters. And we're getting away from that. So, and, and the SEC and the Big Ten, like I said, the way we watch the regular season is going to be adjusted completely. And I, I've said it a thousand times, Bill. Like, Georgia going nine and three and still getting in the playoff. We'll see how they react to that. We'll see. We'll see. I think people finishing in the top 11, I hope they keep it at 12. I don't know if they will, but finishing in the top 11 is more difficult than people think. There's not going to be an eight and four team finishing in the top 11. There's no chance. There's there no chance. Go look at the last 10 years of eight and four teams. There's none of them are in the top 11. Um, they'll they'll be three lost teams at minimum. Maybe not very often. I'm telling you, go look at it. It'll be interesting. We'll uh, we'll do the research. I will. It's ten and two. I mean, people, especially this committee, they always rank based on losses. That's it. It's all the zero losses. It's all the one losses. It's all the two losses. If you if you get down to nine and three, it's maybe maybe one a year. But I it's it's rare. It's rarer than you think. Um, so anyway, all right, well, let's get back to Trochi trivia. Speaking of finishing number one, uh, can you remember the last time the AP preseason number one did not finish in the AP top 10? I, I think, I think it was, uh, Lane is Lane Kiffin, the coach. Yes, sir. Was, I, I don't know the year though. Like I know it was USC is either 11 or 12. I'll go 12. 2012, yeah. Ooh, USC. Well done, Bill Bender. You got it again. Uh, we do so that list every year. Stat. Yeah, go ahead. This is an interesting stat as I was researching this. Every year in the 10-team playoff, pre AP preseason number one finished in the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only one at once. Which is Alabama, right? Alabama. Yeah. So that the reason I only reason I got that one was every year when the AP pool moves, we do number one and how they finished. And I know that that USC team was disaster hour for Lane. Seven and six. They were unranked. Yeah. Right. So So, you go the the 10 years of the uh, CFP, everyone's in the top five. And then the, the year previous, 2013, Alabama was preseason number one. They finished seventh. And, and yet then, you guys want to call Ole Miss a sleeper. You just, you know, just, <laughs> just throwing that out there when they're ranked three or four and say, hey, remember that time he was at USC and we thought that was going to happen? I mean, but that's me. We'll see. Lane's done a good job with the portal. No doubt. So, all right. Well, very good, Bill. I know you're uh, going to brave the tornadoes and get out of get out of town and hit, hit, this, hit some golf balls this weekend. I wish you well. Hit them straight. Hit them far. I will. Enjoy yourself with uh, with your buddies on your golf trip. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast, brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.